Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa'a amma ba'd fa'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani r-rajeem bismillahir rahmanir rahim rabbana la tuzigh qulubana ba'da id hadaytana wa hab lana min ladunka rahma innaka antal wahhab subhanar rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Assalamu ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sinuna Muhammad wa ala ala sinuna Muhammad wa barik wa sallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us in the Quran to make this dua Rabbana or our Lord Allah La tuzir qulubana ba'da id hadaytana That do not cause our hearts to stray after you have sent hidayah, after you have bestowed your guidance upon us. And gift to us or grant to us from yourself rahmah, mercy. That verily you and you alone are al-wahhab, which means the bestower, the grantor. The giver. There are several things being mentioned in this du'a. Number one is that there's a notion that even though we have received hidayah, even though we make du'a for hidayah, it's possible that Allah Ta'ala sends His hidayah upon us, but even then our qulub, our spiritual hearts will still go astray. So that means that there's one, and what we do is we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for one more thing. And that is rahmah, and that is to have mercy. Right? And these two things, dua for hidayah, and dua for rahmah. One will find that these two things come throughout the Quran al-Kareem. Now what is the relationship between these two things? Why is it that we need both, and why is it specifically in this dua we are learning, that after a person gets hidayah, they are in need of rahmah. And the reason is that we are not, unfortunately, as responsive to that hidayah as we should be. We don't accept that hidayah or we don't submit to that hidayah entirely or completely. And therefore, what we need then is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one way we can understand this is that receiving hidayah and not following it really should make us worthy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's anger, His wrath, His ghazab. Right, because if somebody guides you somewhere, somebody gives you instructions, and you deliberately, knowingly don't follow those instructions, then anybody in the world will tell you that, okay, you're worthy of being reprimanded. You deserve that person's anger. So just like that, if a slave gets hedaya from their rub, from their lord, but they don't respond to it, they don't hearken to that hedaya, then it means in that slave actually, Right, in some sense is worthy is mustahik has earned themselves the anger or displeasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore such a person then asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for mercy right first of all what to be asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let, first, first of all let, let this not happen to us right Allah ta'ala once you send hidayah upon us don't let our hearts go astray don't let our hearts become hardened don't let our hearts become rusted. 
Don't let our hearts become desensitized to your hidayah. Don't let our hearts become immune or impermeable to your hidayah. So that's the first dua. The second dua is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if this happens, if our hearts are so immune that even after receiving your hidayah we still go astray, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we ask you, number two, وَحَبْلَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ الرَّحْمَةً Now we ask you to grant us mercy from yourself. We ask you to grant us your mercy. Number one, to save us from the wrath and displeasure that should occur at our non-compliance or inability to follow the hidayah. Number two, to send your mercy out of your mercy, to have mercy on us, to have mercy on our sorrowful state that our hearts are astray even after receiving hidayah. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ wahhab And the notion here is that Allah subhanahu only and only you can bestow upon us the hidayah. Only and only you can send us upon us mercy that will enable our hearts to absorb and submit to that hidayah. And only and only you can send that mercy upon us that saves our hearts from destruction when we do not heed and hearken to your hidayah. Now, what is one of the reasons that we normally fail, right, to follow hidayah? It's a very simple thing. And what happens is that we postpone. We delay things, we postpone things. In other words, that gap between knowledge and action, that gap between guidance and submission, right? That gap is very simple. For most of us, it comes down to one very simple thing. And that's procrastination. You can call it procrastination, you can call it delaying, you can call it postponing, delaying the inevitable, postponing what we can do today until tomorrow or the day after the next year, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to see to it that we don't do this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said number one, well us, right? That whole surah is giving us the lesson of time. That time is not on our side. You see, if time was on our side, then rationally speaking, a person might be tempted to postpone, would be tempted to procrastinate, would be tempted to follow the hidayah well after many days, years after they received it. But time is something that's not on our side. And in some sense, postponing things when it pertains to our deen is actually not just counterproductive, but it's actually irrational. Those hikmat or wisdom demands, right? not only whether it's worldly wisdom or wisdom from revelation, demands that whatever can be done today should not be left for tomorrow. Or more specifically, we should prioritize. More important things should be done today, and the less important things can be left for the future. And when we understand that, then it's very clear that when we phrase it that way, using the words more important and less important, then it's going to be very difficult to postpone the deen. Right? Because that means that we are really saying that the deen is less important. Therefore it can take place later. I can wait till after I graduate. I can wait till after I get married. I'll wait till after I have my kids. I'll wait till after I get my job and get settled down. And I can tell you from practical experience even my own life and dealing with countless people, that anybody who has thought like this has always failed. That woman who said, I'll wait till after I get married, when she got married, she still didn't do it. 
When she said, I'll wait till I graduate, when she graduated, she still didn't do it. When she said that, let me graduate and settle down and start my career, then I'll do X. She still didn't do it. There's no baraka in postponing. I've almost never, illa mashallah, almost never have we actually seen somebody postpone and be successful in postponing and putting off things to a future date. Why is that? The reason is that the act of postponing really means, right, it's much more significant than just mere procrastination or delaying. It means that we are according that Islamic obligation or that religious duty a low importance, a low value. And that is crippling to our deen. That is crippling to our spirituality, right? And then we lose the madad, the nusrat, the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We lose his barakah. And it's very rare, illa mashallah, and normally that even that happens when a person makes toba. And makes toba specifically for that delay. So that woman who when she gets married, she actually feels bad that she didn't do it before. And she truly, sincerely repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives her tawfiq or her ability or success to do that action or perform that obligation or fulfill that requirement even at this later stage, at this delayed stage to which she responded to. You will find that whenever we do anything related to the deen, there's an instant gratification. If you ever manage to, if we ever manage to overcome our nafs and actually stop ourselves from procrastinating and force ourselves to do something, you will find that when you complete that task, let's say it's a prayer, right? let's say that it's 2 o'clock and you're lazy about praying Zohar, so you say that, okay, let me finish this and then I'll pray. Let me wrap up this and then I'll pray. The whole time that you spend from, let's say, 2 to 3 has a lack of barakah in it, has a certain tension in it because you haven't prayed. If we force ourselves to go ahead and pray, then you will find a complete ease and contentment in your heart for the remainder of the time up till Asr because you have prayed Zohar and you didn't postpone without any sort of important or valid reason. And then Allah Ta'ala will put barakah in that time between Zohar and Asr. And this is a test really that is especially more for women. Uh, because by and large, most men offer, try or at least have this assistance of offering their prayers in Jama'at in the Masjid. But because it's not as emphasized for women, then many women pray individually. And because they pray individually, then their time management, right? is much, much more, you know, it's much, much more left up to them to manage their time. And therefore, I mean, it's very easy for a man, we just would simply tell him to go and pray in Jamaat in the masjid, right? And then the whole issue of procrastinating and delaying prayers or sleeping without praying Isha is solved. But for a woman, right, whether it's Zohar and Asr, a midday prayer for a person who studies or works, or Isha prayer, right, for any woman, the more and more you delay it, you will find that praying becomes more and more of a burden. It's funny because we delay it because we think, okay, we're busy now. It's 7, 8 p.m., I'm busy now. It'll be easier to pray later. But you will find, practically speaking, that when 9, 10, 11 starts coming, then you don't find it easier to pray, you find it harder to pray because you're more tired or whatever. And it would have actually been retroactive and even in just 
One is historical hindsight. Sometimes you can have hindsight even in just in a matter of hours. When it hits 11, you are going to be so tired, you want to sleep. At 11 p.m., you will wish that you prayed at 7.30, and you will say that, oh, it would have been so easy to pray at 7.30. It's so difficult to pray now. But at 7.30, you found it difficult to pray then, and you said, let me finish what I'm doing, and then may it will be easier for me to pray later. So it's just a general, simple rule, right? And the amazing thing is we don't learn this lesson, right? Anytime any one of us, uh, let's say, falls asleep without having prayed Isha, this means that we should learn our lesson, that okay, that was it. This just showed me that I'm not capable of delaying this prayer. But the very next day, a person will do the exact same thing. It, it's amazing, right? That what has happened to us as Muslims is that we fail to learn from our own faults. We fail to build on our own failings, right? We don't have even a basic level of self-assessment, of self-improvement, right? So procrastination and delay for a woman it's even more critical when it comes to the five daily prayers. And again, if we forced ourselves to pray, let's say at 7.30, you will find that you're totally relaxed and you're totally tension-free up to when you sleep. And when it becomes 10 and 11, you have this luxury of crashing. You can just go and conk out on your bed whenever you want. You don't have to worry about having to pray because you've already prayed at an early time. And you're totally content and totally relaxed. And then when you sleep at night, especially if you're a person who tries to pray regularly, you know when you sleep and you haven't prayed Isha, you don't sleep with a clean conscience. You sleep with a guilty conscience. And that guilt is going to nag you throughout the night. Number one, it might prevent us from waking up for Fajr. Number two, even if somehow we manage to get up for Fajr anyway, our whole night was spent in a state of stress. Subconsciously, subliminally, our conscience would be disturbed the whole night. And then the barakah would be taken out of our sleep because we slept in a state or we passed the whole night really in a state of sin. It's fascinating that that is the power of salah. If we deliberately miss a prayer, let's say we deliberately miss dhuhr, then the second asr starts, that whole time of dhuhr is written as if we lived every second of that in a state of sin. So when we wake up in the morning, right, what just happened is it's as if we spent the whole night in disobedience. We spent the whole night in sin. Such a big, right, burden on our book of deeds and countless moments that we have such few precious moments of righteousness. How could we just out of our laziness all of a sudden add, let's say these days it says at seven, right, and um, Fajr starts at five, right, or five twelve. So we just added 10 hours of sin. How are we going to compensate for that? Where are we going to bring the 10 hours of righteousness or 10 hours of good deeds to just nullify, right? Those 10 hours of sin. How much easier it would have been to just pray for 10 minutes to save ourselves those 10 hours of sin. How much more difficult is it later to bring 10 hours of good deeds to try to compensate for those 10 hours of sin? Again, this is not exactly mathematical, right? Obviously, a person might do toba, a person might do any action, even momentary, that Allah Ta'ala may accept and use that as an expiation for our sin, but it's worth thinking about, right? That we pass the entire night in a sinful state. Why? Because of procrastination. Because we postpone. 
That's what it means that we've received hidayah. I mean, I'm using a very, very basic example, which is that of salah. Any person who believes in their heart that salah is fard, that it's fard to pray five times, then they have received hidayah about salah. I'm using this term because you know, and you will have met many colleagues of yours, and certainly colleagues of mine, who actually do not believe that prayer is mandatory. They might even be one, you know, multiple degrees even further, they might not even believe in Allah, or they might believe in God, but they might think that God lets you worship Him in any way you want, or God doesn't need your worship, or all types of views that are out there. Any person who actually, by the fuzzle and grace of Allah, Alhamdulillah, believes that namaz is farz. That's hidayah. That's hidayah. It's not because we're intellectually superior to anybody. It's not because we're more rational than anybody. If we have been guided to this understanding, that salah is farz, guided to this understanding. In other words, we received hidayah. Okay? And when we don't pray, that means we are anybody who has this guidance, anybody who believes that salah is farz, and then doesn't pray, they're doing what this verse is mentioning. We've spurned that guidance. And we have to reflect, right, that what's happened to our hearts, that we had received hidayah, our mind acknowledged this hidayah, what happened to us that despite all this, we are spurning this hidayah. And if we find ourselves in this state, then we should reflect on this verse of the Qur'an. And we should make this du'a. And we should realize then that we are people in deep need of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are people who deeply need His rahmah. Right? Now, and the last part, innaka antal wahhab, it represents a reorientation, a reaffirmation of tawheed. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever was preventing us from following what we intellectually believe to be hidayah, that was a type of shirk. We preferred something over your hidayah. Whether it was our sleep, whether it was our work, whatever it was, the reality is that it means that we prefer that over your hidayah. We set that up as a rival to your hidayah, to your hukam, to your wish. And that is a type of shirk. That is shirk khafi. That is a type of inner shirk. So we reaffirm our tawheed at the end of this du'a, innaka antal wahhab, that verily Allah Taala, you and you alone, right, are the bestower or the giver. Right, there is nothing else, there is no other being who can bestow anything upon us, who can grant us any type of success, who can give us any type of mercy, who can send upon us any type of grace or blessing except for you. And therefore we reorient ourselves to follow you and you alone. So I gave one example here of a particular act of worship, Salah, in terms of procrastination and delay. Second example is, um, from the other side, is that many times we receive Hidayah that something is wrong. Okay, the first thing is that something is right, is fard, is desired by Allah, and we fail to do it. The second, the flip side is something is prohibited by Allah. And therefore we shouldn't do it. And we know this, right? We've received hidayah. Again, this is a major blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many people who don't call a spade a spade, don't recognize sin as sin, will view an activity that is impermissible and say, no, it's perfectly fine. So again, you will have colleagues as I do, 
who will say that it's fine to date, it's fine to drink, it's fine to do this, it's fine to do that, it's fine to have interest, it's fine to do so many things. And they actually, intellectually, that is your position. Now, if we have been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to understand that, no, 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 this is actually, it's not fine. It is prohibited, it is sin. Again, that's not because of our intellectual superiority, it's because of hidayah. It's because Allah ta'ala guided us to this understanding. However, even after that guidance and after that understanding, we still commit that sin. Then again, this door can be used. Exactly the same thing. Then what is it about our heart that although our mind is accepted that this action or this statement or this feeling, right, or this thought, there's sinful actions, there's sinful thoughts, there's sinful feelings, there's sinful statements. So we intellectually believe it to be sinful, but what is it about my heart? It still doesn't. It cannot prevent me from doing it. And if I know something is sinful and I still do it, then, Ya Allah, I need your rahmah. I need your mercy desperately. In fact, it's your mercy and mercy alone that can save me. Ya Allah, perhaps there are some of your noble servants who are saved once you send them hidayah. That the second you bestow your hidayah upon them, they respond to it completely and utterly. And they submit to your every wish and command. But Ya Allah, I am of those people who is much more downtrodden. Who has become much more degraded and depraved. I am even lower than that level that needs your hidayah. I need your hidayah plus your mercy. Because I am not able to respond. I am not able to comply. I am not able to change myself. I am not able to leave those things. That you, out of your generosity, your karam, guided me to understand that those are things that should be left. After that understanding, to still persist in such actions or thoughts or feelings or statements that are sinful, that is again something that should earn the displeasure and wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And again, whatever it is that we do, for whatever reason we commit that sinful action, that's a type of shirk. Because we set that up as a rival to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, don't do X. And whatever reason in the world makes us still do X, that reason or that philosophy or that friend or that family or that desire or that emotion or that ideology or that environment or whatever it is, it is set up as a rival to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. رَبَّنَا لَا تُزِكُلُوا بَنَا بَعْلَ إِذْ هَدَيْتَنَا وَحَبْ لَنَا مِنْ لَدُنْكَ رَحْمَةً إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْوَحَبِ These du'as in the Qur'an al-Kareem are not just there, right? They're meant to be used and they're meant to be felt and they're meant to be lived and they're meant themselves, the du'as themselves are a type of hidayah. They show us how to assess ourselves. We are supposed to critically assess ourselves in light of the meanings of every du'a. And we're supposed to make those du'at, right? From the bottom of our hearts, from the depth of our being. Right? And make ourselves really, from the tips of our hair to the soles of our feet, a person of du'a. I remember one of my teachers used to say that when you see a beggar, and a true, a real person who is truly destitute, truly in need, when they come to you, let's say they come to your windshield, you might not even be able to hear their voice. But everything about them is pleading. The way they look, the way they walk, the way they hold themselves, 
everything about them. So just like that, they say that we have to make ourselves like that towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That everything about us, our demeanor, our attitude, our aura, our personality, our character, our gaze, our habits, our mannerisms, our gait, everything should reflect that submissiveness. Everything should reflect that ubudiyah or that servanthood or that slavehood. And when we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it has to be with our tongue, with our hands, with our hearts, with a repentant and penitent eye, with a soft and penitent heart, with our whole body language, should really be emitting and exuding, right, a yearning, a pleading, a supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to transform the state of our heart, to transform our spiritual condition, in light of these du'as mentioned in the Qur'an al-Kareem. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give all of us the ability to become people of hidayah and to may Allah ta'ala bestow upon us His special mercy, His special rahmah to increase us in our hidayah, to enable us to respond and submit to the hidayah that is already bestowed upon us and to restore us to our fitrat and our aqidah and our iman of tawheed and to reorient our lives in such a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His being, His exaltedness, His majesty, His obedience, His love, His fear, His worship, His remembrance, that all of these things become restored to the primary, exclusively prime and primary motivation and factor of our life. وَآخِرَ الدَّعْوَانَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الْعَالَمِينَ Ya Allah, a kind and generous Lord. Ya Allah, you are the most perfect Rabb. Ya Allah, the most kind Rabb, the most generous Rabb, the most true Rabb. Ya Allah, we wish too to be the most true and perfect Abd. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, make us as perfect in our servant unto you as you are as perfect in your Lordship over us. Ya Allah, make us as true in our servant unto you as you have been so true in your Lordship over us. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, make us Abd Rabb. Ya Allah, unite us and restore us, Ya Allah, to the path, Ya Allah, that brings us to your perfect obedience, to the path that earns us your perfect pleasure. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Karim, La Tazakulubana. Ya Allah, do not let our hearts go astray, do not let our hearts become rusted. Ya Rabbi Karim, do not let our hearts become hardened or impermeable. Ya Rabbi Karim, after you have guided us, Ya Allah, we ask you to soften our hearts to your hidayah. Open our hearts towards your hidayah. Let, Ya Allah, let your noble and beautiful and generous and kind hidayah penetrate and permeate each and every pore of our body, each and every pore of our being, each and every pore of our heart. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to make us Amdul Hadi. Ya Allah, we ask you to become servants of your hidayah, servants of your attribute of hidayah, servants of your being, the being of hidayah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you are so kind and generous that you bestow your guidance upon us. Ya Allah, we ask your forgiveness. We ask your rahmah. Ya Allah, we ask you to bestow your mercy upon us and forgive us for failing to 
hearken to your hidayah. Ya Allah, you have made us amongst the Ahl hidayah, the people of guidance. Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for not honoring this generous gift of Hidayah, for not rising and fulfilling the responsibility of Hidayah and of this deen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, you made us amongst the Mu'mineen, you made us amongst the Muslimin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to make us amongst the Muttaqeen. Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to follow the Hidayah. We ask you to send your mercy upon us. Innaka anta wahab. Ya Allah, you and you alone can bestow anything upon us. Ya Allah, today we repent from all of our false gods. We repent from all of our hidden shirk. Ya Allah, we repent from all the rivals that we have set up to you, to your hukam, to your commands, to your wishes, to your desires, to your deen, to your Qur'an, to your sunnah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to restore us to our ubudiyah. Ya Allah, we ask you to restore your hidayah and your rahmah to our heart. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to follow each and every ruling of the Qur'an, Sunnah, and Sharia. And Ya Allah, we ask you to give us the strength, the willpower, to stay away from each and every prohibition in the Qur'an, Sunnah, and Sharia. Ya Allah, guide us to that life which is pleasing to you. Ya Allah, guide us to that life which earns your pleasure in this world and in the Akhirah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, forgive us for all the sins that we have done. Forgive us for spurning your hidayah. Ya Allah, enable us to do qadr and honor and value your guidance, to value the guidance of your Qur'an, to value the guidance of your beloved Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, to value the guidance that you keep bestowing upon us in various different ways, in books and people. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, help us to increase in our hidayah. Ya Allah, make us amongst the people of hidayah. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, remove from us our laziness, our procrastination, our delaying. Ya Allah, save us from the own deceptions of ourself. Save us from the deceptions of the nafs. Save us from the deceptions of shaitan. Ya Allah, make us people of action. Make us people of dynamism. Ya Allah, make us active in our deen. Ya Allah, we have become so passive when it comes to our deen. Ya Allah, we ask you out of your mercy to remove the laziness and sloth of our spiritual selves. Ya Allah, to make us active and dynamic. To make us spiritually strong. To grant us spiritual health. To grant us spiritual strength. ربنا تكمل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين آمين